I should mention, if you're in junior high, junior high is still happening, even though you see me up here. Our wonderful volunteers are going to leave that. So by all means, junior highs, you can head down to the portable as well. Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Ryan Chevalier, and I am the director of youth ministries here at Cornerstone. And it is my privilege to fill the pulpit this morning and preach to you from God's Word uh, while our lead pastor, Paul Carter, is away at Honey Harbor. So would you please open the scriptures with me and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be reading the first five verses together. But as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, what lengths would you be willing to go to make the gospel known around this world? What sacrifices would you be willing to make? Would you be willing to forgo all of those wonderful air-conditioned luxuries of home? Would you be able to, willing to put in the time uh, to learn a foreign language? Would you be willing to eat strange foods, to immerse yourself in a culture with a value system entirely different than your own? These are some of the costs that it will cost us uh, to go and reach the gospel, to spread the gospel to unknown peoples. But thankfully, the church, the history of the church is full of countless stories of men and women who have counted the cost and deemed Christ worthy. One of my favorite examples of this is the, the man Hudson Taylor. Maybe you've heard of him. He is the 19th century missionary to China. Now, in order to be as effective as possible in his ministry to the Chinese people, he spent two years prior to going not only learning the Mandarin language so he could speak one-on-one with the people there, but he also spent two years studying medicine so that he'd have practical skills and opening to reach those people there. He made sacrifices. But even those sacrifices end up not being enough, for when he arrived, he did not have quite the welcome he expected. People still kept him at arm reach because he did not look the same as them. He was a big man. He was wearing Western clothes. He had dark, or he had blonde hair. So he responded to this. He wanted to break down all of these bears. He responded by dyeing his hair. He responded by wearing the traditional dress of the people. And he's famously quoted as saying, let us in everything become like the Chinese, that by all means we may save some. Hudson Taylor sacrificed his time, his comforts, and even his health for the sake of reaching the Chinese people with the gospel of Christ. Well, in this morning's text, we are going to find another man who made a great sacrifice for this very same purpose. So hopefully at this point, you have opened your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, and we'll read these first five verses together. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this short story is relatively easy to understand, but it has some very big implications for how we do missions. So we're going to divide our time accordingly. We're going to spend a little bit of time off the top 
uh, just debriefing, explaining what exactly is going on here. But then we're going to conclude with three big takeaways that we all need to learn if we want to be as effective as possible in spreading the gospel around this world, in this place, and even in this town. So to understand this passage, I just want to ask two questions or answer two questions. The first thing we need to understand is who was Timothy? If you're a Bible reader, you're probably familiar with the name. There are, after all, two books of the Bible uh, that bear his name. We've got 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Now, these aren't written by Timothy himself, but they are letters written by the Apostle Paul to him. And the very first appearance we have of Timothy is exactly what we just read this morning. In this passage, we learned a few things about him. We learned that he was from the city of Lystra. We learned that his mother was a Jewish believer in Christ and that his father was a Greek. We also learned that Timothy himself was a Christian and that he was well thought of by all of the Christians who knew him. He was an outstanding man in faith and character. We learned something else about him in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now you. I am sure dwells in you as well. Did you notice anything missing from this passage? Any one person? It was his father. So Timothy's an interesting character, not only because he was both ethnically Jewish and Greek, but he also had one parent who believed in the Lord Jesus as Christ, and another who did not. You can imagine that his upbringing would have been quite difficult, as he heard the gospel from his grandmother and his mom, but then had it denied by his father. Seems his father didn't want too much to do with religion, for he even separated Timothy from his Jewish heritage by refusing to have him circumcised as an infant. Circumcision was of utmost importance to the Jewish people. It was the physical identity marker that represented one's covenant fidelity to God. It was a sign that you were a faithful, believing Jew. If you were not circumcised, you may have been Jewish um, through ethnicity, but you certainly were not a Jew of faith. Timothy would have been kept at arm's reach from that community because he was not circumcised. So important was circumcision that if you remember a few weeks ago, back when we were last in the book of Acts, Pastor Paul preached to us from Acts chapter 15. It's a very famous chapter known as the Jerusalem Council. The church had to meet to discuss this matter of circumcision because these Jews had come in and they were insisting that everybody, no matter whether you were a Jew by ethnicity or whether you were a Gentile, anyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ must be circumcised. That's what they were insisting in verses 5 to 6. Let me read it to you. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now what the church concluded and what the Holy Spirit led them to conclude is of utmost importance. Here is the conclusion they met in 28 and 29. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Do you see anything about circumcision there? No, it was missing. It was concluded that circumcision was not 
a requirement to be a follower of Christ. That it was not a burden they would lay on the Gentile believers. And it was this very decision that here in Acts 16, we find the Apostle Paul going about and sharing with the churches that had already been established. It was as he was sharing this message that circumcision was not required that he met Timothy and chose to partner with him in ministry. And of course, this leads to our next question that we really need to understand. Why then did Paul have Timothy circumcised? It seems a little counterintuitive to do the very thing that you are telling churches they do not have to do. So what's going on here? This is one of the most important things that we're going to note this morning. And that's that just because something is not necessary for salvation does not mean that it cannot be helpful for the sake of missions. Right? Just because something is not necessary to be saved doesn't mean that it cannot be helpful for the sake of missions. A good missionary will do all sorts of things not required of him. For example, if you wanted to go and be a missionary in Quebec, it would be wise to spend some time learning the language of French. Will knowing French save you? No. Will it be helpful in your ministry? Absolutely it will. Or if you wanted to go and do some ministry in an Orthodox Jewish community, you're probably not going to be doing the pig roast that we're doing in a couple weeks, right? Would you be allowed? Would you be within your Christian freedoms to do that? Would you maybe be displaying something about your Christian freedoms? Yeah, you'd be welcome to, but it'd be a pretty foolish missionary strategy. No one is going to come to your pig roast if you are in an Orthodox Jewish community. So just because we are allowed to do certain things in our gospel freedoms doesn't mean that we have to do them. In fact, sometimes we will abstain from doing some things, and we will start doing other things. Right? This is what we do when we care about the Great Commission. You're going to ask yourself whether things will be helpful or not helpful in order to reach the most amount of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we see going on here in Acts chapter 16. Paul was not just visiting established churches to tell them about this decision. He was doing that, but he was also going into the communities and he was sharing the gospel. And when Paul did this, the very first place that he would always go to was the synagogue in each town. So if Timothy was going to join him in this work, it would be so, so helpful if he fully embraced his Jewish heritage and underwent circumcision. One commentator puts it like this. He says, Timothy was both Jew and Greek. And because rabbinic law taught that a child born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father was considered to be Jewish, Paul knew Timothy would have constantly offended the Jews if he didn't get circumcised. So as a matter of missionary strategy, as a sign of respect to Jewish heritage, and as an attempt to maintain Jew-Gentile unity, Timothy undergoes the painful surgery. Right? You can guarantee that Timothy weighed his options before making this decision. He was well aware that he was under no obligation to get circumcised. The Apostle Paul had told him that very thing. But he also knew that sharing the gospel to the Jews would be a lot harder if he refused to have this surgery. And he ultimately concluded that a door to effective ministry was worth more than the cost of his physical comfort of his temporary pain, and he underwent the surgery. Now, that's what's happening in this story. And as I said, it's pretty straightforward, 
But you can imagine, it's got some big implications for how we should be living here and how we should be doing ministry abroad. So let's now turn to three questions and ask ourselves, what will gospel-centered mission require of us? And the very first thing I want you to see is that gospel-centered mission will require us to consider the need of others. And if I think if there's ever a lesson that we need to learn as 21st century North American Christians, it is this. It's a lesson that we need to learn, not only as it relates to mission work, but even just in our everyday lives. Because we are regularly in our culture bombarded with a message that looks quite opposite to this. We are told that we need to look out for the needs of number one first, right? Consider your needs. Put yourself first. Other people matter, but they matter second, third, maybe even fourth. Now, there's something appealing about this. On on the surface, it seems like good advice, right? You should care for yourself. Don't hear me denying that. You should care for yourself in order that you can love your neighbor as you love yourself. But we fall into this trap of being so self-consumed that we never even get to the place of caring for our neighbor because we're never well enough. I would propose that we're probably not well enough to overflow because we are so self-obsessed we never get to that point of health. Sometimes the best thing we can do is take our eyes off of ourselves for a little bit and focus on other people so that we can help them. And when we help others, that is a healing thing. I think our culture would be surprised to learn that self-obsession is what is crippling us and preventing us from having the energy to go to others. So let's focus on the needs of others and not be so self-consumed. This is the way that the Bible uh, presents us with. And I already mentioned it. Look with me at Matthew 22, 37, 39. This is what Jesus says the greatest commandments are. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What this means is that when we come to a fork in the road, when we have a decision to make, we should not only be asking ourselves, what is going to be good for me? What's going to be best for me? We should also ask ourselves, how is this decision going to affect my relationship with God, and how is this decision going to affect my neighbors? Now, I'd have to guess, if many of us were in Timothy's shoes, we would not have made the decision that he made. We would have made the selfish decision, said, no, 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 I don't think I need to do that. In fact, I think our our thinking would probably go something like this. We'd be like, no way, I shouldn't have to get circumcised, therefore I will not get circumcised. That would not only be painful, but it's not necessary. It is not necessary to be circumcised to be a follower of Christ. So why would I do something just to appease a bunch of old, legalistic Jewish people? If they can't accept me as I am, then they can miss out on what I have to share with them. The fault is on them, not on me. Doesn't that sound like the kind of thinking that we'd probably be more prone to do? Not only does it allow us to sidestep the sacrifice, say like, whoa, I don't have to do that, praise the Lord, but it is also rooted in our gospel freedoms. It's still spiritual. It still sounds good so we can share it boldly with our friends and not make them think we're a coward. I can only imagine that Timothy had these very same thoughts going through his mind. But he didn't listen to them if he did. He didn't come to that conclusion. Once again, Timothy knew that if he would have a witness among the Jews, he would need to be circumcised. So long as he was uncircumcised, he would be at arm's length. And he could have shrugged his shoulders at this, right? 
He could have just said, I'm going to allow them to face the consequences of their hardness of heart. I don't have to do this. But instead, he put the spiritual needs of the Jewish people above his own physical comfort, and he went through with the operation. That is what it means to be considerate of the needs of others. That is the level of sacrifice that we are being called to make. If we want to reach people with the gospel, we will sometimes need to enter in on their own terms. We will need to meet them where they are at. Now, even as I say that, I feel all worried and and scared that you could take it the wrong way. So please hear this. This does not mean that we should involve ourselves in sinful action in order to reach the lost. We're going to talk more about that in our second point, but hear me say it now. For example, you shouldn't start doing drugs just because you want to be more relatable uh, to the drug-addicted community in this town. Nor should you start participating in the crew joking around the lunch table just because you want to be more relatable. You want to win friends so that you can influence them later. That's not what this story is calling us to do. That would be to participate in the sin of the very people that we are trying to save. It would be counterintuitive. But in this story, Timothy getting circumcised was not a sin, nor was it something that he was required to do. He didn't have to do it. It was a morally neutral option, but he did it. He decided to get circumcised because he knew that following through with this cultural custom, following through with his Jewish heritage, would open the doors for effective ministry to the Jewish people. In the same way, we ought to be considerate of the cultural customs of those around us. Once again, the commentator Tony Morita is helpful here. Here's what he says. He says, if people reject your ministry, make sure it's the gospel and not your cultural biases and practices. That's the stumbling block to effectiveness. If you need to wear a yarmulke when speaking to Jews, then do it. If you need to sit on the floor with Muslims in order to converse, sit on the floor. If you need to wear a particular type of robe in a village in order to address the unreached, then put on the robe. If you need to abstain from foods, do it. Put no stumbling block in the way of the gospel. And that's it. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Put no stumbling block in the way of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said something very, very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. He wrote this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though not myself being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those under the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Hearing this, we should take a minute, and we should consider how that might apply to us here in Aurelia. Are there any stumbling blocks that we may unnecessarily put up before our neighbors that would prevent them from hearing the gospel from us? I think one example that we could talk about, one thing that we are free to do 
right? You're certainly welcome to do this, but you don't have to do this, is being the type of person who constantly shares your opinion on absolutely every subject. You see, we are living in an increasingly divided world. On almost any issue you could talk about, a clear line has been drawn on the sand, and people want to know what side of that line you are on. Here's the thing. You don't have to declare your side on every issue. You're welcome to have an opinion. It's natural to have an opinion on any topic. But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you need to share with everybody your opinion on it. As one example, one of the obvious examples perhaps would be politics. Right? Do you have a favorite political party? Great, so do I. There's nothing wrong with that. You should have an invested interest in politics. You should know why you vote, who you vote for, and you should have preferences. And there's nothing even wrong with having talk in the appropriate circumstances with those. But we shouldn't go out of our way to be shoving our political ideology down the throats of other people's. Right? If we were to do that, if I were to litter my line my lawn with certain political party signs, and I would always have the hat on, or whatever the case may be, I would be preventing half of my neighborhood from hearing anything I had to say, because they would just know me as whatever political party Joe I am, right? That would be unnecessary barriers, something you're free to do, but something you don't have to do, and something we should consider not doing, right? It is hard enough to win an audience for the gospel without putting any unnecessary stumbling blocks, So the next time you're tempted to put a post up on Facebook about whatever it may be, politics or whatever cultural issue of the day, maybe just think about whether or not you should. Sometimes it will be helpful. Gospel-centered issues, absolutely we should be sharing those. Again, we're not being called to be a coward and to shy away, but those secondary issues, those non-gospel-related issues, maybe it will be helpful to remain quiet. Similarly, maybe a little bit closer to home here, uh, there may be reason that we should abstain from excessive boasting in our Christian freedoms. I hope most of you are unaware of this, but I'm sure some of you will will know and be able to find this relatable. But there's almost a comical movement within the young Reformed world where people go out of their way uh, to express their Christian liberties in ways that other Christians might find slightly offensive. These are the young Christian men who every time they buy a new bottle of whiskey, they put it up on Instagram because they want people to know they are free to drink. Or they're the people who love to light up a cigar in company that might just kind of shudder at it and think that it is awfully unchristian for them to do. Again, I would say there's nothing sinful about drinking in moderation. There's not necessarily anything sinful about enjoying a cigar to celebrate an occasion. But you don't need to be boasting about that. You don't need to make that what you are known for first and foremost. What would be the point of that? Doing such things only creates barriers. In fact, it is sometimes done with that purpose of putting up barriers of offense. And that seems to be the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul called us to do. Again, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, we all have countless freedoms that we are welcome to enjoy. But if ever those freedoms make our brother stumble, they should be the first to go. Let us not create barriers with one another, and let us not create barriers unnecessarily with unbelievers. Let's choose to live a sacrificial life that considers the needs of others. But now let's balance that with our second point. As I said, we could hear that wrongly. So our second point that I want us to see is that we are called, for the sake of gospel-centered mission, to guard 
the gospel. In any issue that we read about in the Bible, there is a chance that we could become so consumed with one thing the Bible says that we fail to see how it counterbalances it in other areas. One area that we commonly see this being done on is the issue of salvation. There are some verses in the Bible that speak so strongly of God's sovereignty in choosing us and electing us and doing everything, even though we're fighting against it, to save us. We could read those and those alone. We become almost hyper-Calvinist. We could think, oh, personal decision means nothing. Um, I'm either saved or I'm not, so we might as well just live and make merry. Emissions is useless. That would be a wrong reading. Because the Bible also has a whole lot to say about the need to repent and the need to follow Jesus Christ. Some people get consumed with those and they think God has nothing to do with it. But when we approach the Bible as a whole, when we gather all of the texts, we can learn using wisdom what God's way is. So it is here. There are other passages of Scripture that will help inform our understanding of Acts 16. Because this is almost quite remarkable, but this is not the only story in the Bible we have of one of Paul's partners being trying to consider whether or not he should be circumcised. This was clearly a very active debate in the first century. So I want to introduce you to another character who came to a different conclusion in this same matter. Uh, that character is Titus, and we read about his story in Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. So let me read that to you, and then we'll look at what is happening here. It says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Titus' situation differed from Timothy's in two regards. First, Titus had no Jewish heritage. He was 100% a Greek. So him getting circumcised would have not brought him into alignment of his heritage, of his ethnicity. It wouldn't have made him a brother to all of these Jewish people. It would have not accomplished any of that. So a lot of those benefits would have been missing. But secondly, and even more importantly, false brothers were trying to coerce Titus into be circumcised as a necessary salvific act. These were the brothers we saw in Acts 15 saying, no, if you want to be a Christian, you must be circumcised, and if you are not, then you are not saved, right? If Titus had to given in to that, if he had said, oh, okay, I don't want to cause unnecessary offense, I'll just do it so you think I'm saved, he wouldn't have been helping the gospel go forth. He would have hindered it. He would have promoted these false views of salvation. And the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that that is why an opposite decision was made in this case. He says at the end of verse 5, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The good news of the gospel is that we are saved by grace through faith and not a result of works. And that includes the work of circumcision. So, Titus was not. Well, Timothy was because it was a different circumstance. Now, it's very likely in our own circumstance, you're not going to meet anyone who is insisting that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised. But you will meet people insisting on some other things. It is not rare to find people who would say, yes, you, you say you love Jesus, but what are your views on eschatology? What do you think is going to happen to Israel on the end times? Because that's really where it comes down to who's faithful and who's not. Anyone can claim Jesus, but what you believe here decides whether you are in or out. 
That's not true. Those are secondary issues. They're important issues. Or perhaps a little bit more silly, but also something that we can encounter sometimes. We'll say, if you want to belong in this place, then you need to come in on my terms. You need to come in wearing certain clothing. You need to make sure you take your ball cap off at the door because that is just so disrespectful and it shows that you do not love Jesus. Or maybe there's this demand that when you come here, you will only sing certain songs with certain instruments, that this is what it means to look like to be a true follower of Jesus. Don't you play those drums because those drums only worship Satan and have nothing to do with God. Sounds crazy, but we hear those things. And I would say all of these things are adding to the requirements of Scripture. The Scripture doesn't say anything about what type of music you have to play at church in order to be saved. It doesn't say that you have to believe this, this, and this, and this in order to be saved. It speaks on matters of eschatology. It speaks on a host of issues. But those are not what makes people in and what makes people out. So I would propose if ever we had someone insisting on those things, we'd probably see Pastor Paul up here with a ball cap next week preaching because uh, he would not want that to be taken as, no, only saved people uh, will never have a hat on their head. Right? I'd imagine that we would have the worship team ending most of their songs with a drum solo if that was sort of the cultural pressure that was being faced here. Right? We would do this because when we turn any cultural issue into an aspect of the gospel, we risk obscuring the gospel itself. So when this happens, we need to push back and we need to guard that which is true. And that's what we see happening here. That is why the decision was made to not circumcise Titus. The false brothers were insisting that he could not belong to the family of God unless he was. And this teaching was in clear contradiction to the decision that was made in Acts chapter 15. And in order to correct this false teaching and guard the, dis- the gospel, the decision was made to have Titus remain as he was. Now, before we move on from here, I, I believe that it's worth mentioning that we not only need to guard the gospel from things being added to it, But we should also be aware that there's many people out there who are seeking to undermine the gospel by taking away things from it. So that may not be what's happening here in Acts 16, but it is a very relatable danger that we need to understand. It is the ditch on the other side of the road, right? We could undermine the gospel by adding to it unnecessary things, and we could undermine the gospel by taking away things from it. And I would almost say that there's much more pressure today to take away from the gospel than there is to add it. So I want to address it here this morning. Maybe you've heard a gospel presentation that has a whole lot to say about the forgiveness of sins and nothing to say about the life of discipleship, right? There's a lot of people out there who would say, if you just raise your hand, if you make a decision for Christ at any point in your life, you are good and you will never ever have to worry about any kind of consequence because Christ has you. He sees that hand and he loves it. Right? This is the gospel message that encourages us to say the sinner's prayer, but not worry about repentance, to not be concerned with holy living. There's truth in that. The truth is that the gospel does offer forgiveness. It says Christ's forgiveness is greater than your sins. But the gospel is even better than that. It also offers you a transformed heart. It offers Holy Spirit empowerment that will transform you. 
But there's many people out there who don't want the second part. They don't actually want the transformation. They don't want the life of discipleship. They just want the easy goods. They want forgiveness, and they want sin at the same time. And what's unfortunate is that there are many people out there who are willing to offer this sort of gospel. Why is that? Why would anyone offer such a false gospel? Well, it's because it's a gospel that does not require sacrifice. It comes at no cost. Right? If you offer this gospel of forgiveness without discipleship, you're not going to offend anybody. You're not going to invite any hard questions that you might not know the answers to. This is a gospel that's nothing more than the tickling of ears. People want good news with no cost, and we offer it to them. Not we in this place, but many Christians. But I want to propose this morning that we need to reject that gospel. We need to reject any gospel that adds to God's Word and any gospel that subtracts from it. Now, the obvious challenge is we need to know the true gospel. We must read about it regularly in the Scriptures. It's why we gather here every week to sing about it to one another. It's why we have people stay after the service just to talk, to share their gospel-inspired stories about God's faithfulness. Because we are a people prone to forget. And when we are walking around in the stew of false gospels all over the place, we may be tempted to add or subtract. But we don't want to do that. So let's be gospel-inspired, God-centered followers of Jesus Christ. Let's keep our eyes on Him. And thirdly, and finally... I want us to see that the gospel-centered mission will require us to make personal sacrifices. At the introduction of this sermon, we looked at the person of Hudson Taylor. Do you remember what he said about his ministry to the Chinese? He said, Let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese, that by all means we may save some. Hudson Taylor sacrificed his time to learn a language, He sacrificed his comfort and adopted their dress, and he took very seriously Paul's example of becoming all things to all people. That was the example of Hudson Taylor, and it was the example we saw in Timothy here in Acts 16. Timothy made no little sacrifice in order to reach the Jewish people. So I want to conclude by asking another simple question. What sacrifices will you make to spread the gospel around this world? Will you spend time learning a foreign language so that you can speak to people directly rather than having to do all of your ministry through an interpreter? Would you be willing to learn a trade or a skill that would open the door to an otherwise unaccessible part of this world? Would you wear long, sweaty pants on a missions trip even though you found the idea of women having to wear pants and not shorts, quite oppressive, quite outdated, quite culturally unnecessary. Would you make that sacrifice in order to reach people for the sake of the gospel? Would you be willing to do things that you know you don't have to do under the gospel? Or, not all of you are going to be like, well, I'm never going to go anyways. I'm planning to just do life here. Let's think about some sacrifices that you could make closer to home. Are you willing to sing worship songs in musical styles that you hate in order to see more people walk through these doors and hear the gospel? Would you be willing to sacrifice one evening a week to volunteer at the lighthouse in order to have the opportunity to rub shoulders with men and women with whom you would never otherwise interact? Right? These 
are the type of sacrifices that this morning's text is calling us to. We must be willing to do these things. We must be willing to do things that we have every right not to do, and we must be willing to not do things that we have every right to do. Why? Because the world needs Jesus. And as his followers, we are called to die to ourselves in order to make his name known. This is not an easy task, and it will require his help. So let's finish up this morning by seeking his help in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We love you for who you are and what you have done. We thank you for our salvation. That if we are in Christ, we are free from our sins. Lord, thank you for walking with us down this road of discipleship. Thank you that there is no burden that we cannot overcome with your help. And Lord, we want to offer that same hope to others. We want to offer them the hope of eternal life. We want to offer them hope even in this life, Lord. So Father, I pray that you would give us a heart for missions work. Give us a heart for missions work abroad and missions work here at home. And Lord, open our eyes to see if we are guilty of putting up any barriers unnecessary. Lord, we don't want to be people who create division for division's sake. We don't want to be a people who cause unnecessary offense, but we want to be people who become all things to all people in order to win some for the gospel. So Lord, open our eyes to see and give us the strength to persevere and go. We ask for this help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.